The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in America that's about to perform free therapy here on the air. Jordan, we're going to let you let it all out. We promised you that when the postseason dictated it, we would get behind the microphone and deliver you our takes, our feelings, our reactions. And I will say that we were planning all along to get on the mic here uh, late on Tuesday evening to react to four game Tuesday, right? This might be the last day of the postseason where we get four games. Um, but boy, do we have some stuff to talk about and we will obviously <laughs> be getting to that. But again, we want to be transparent. Jake, let's set the stage. We are recording uh, shortly before midnight on Tuesday night. Uh, we wanted to make sure we we, we reacted to, to four game Tuesday because this is just one of the, one of the more fun days of the season of the postseason. And Jake, where are you right now? Because I'm still sitting I, at the desk that I normally am in my house in Richmond, Indiana. You don't move. Yeah. I move. I'm a mover. I'm a shaker. Uh, and I am at Yankee Stadium behind section 224, recording this podcast as I gaze over an emptied, trash strewn. Yankee Stadium that hours ago was rocking. Okay. Talking about baseball stadiums being loud and their various types of loudness is usually stupid. But Yankee Stadium and honestly, Houston is also like dumb loud. Uh, that's real stuff. But we are not going to begin here at Yankee Stadium. We are going to begin not with the first game of the day in Atlanta, but we are going to begin with the main event. The reason you are all listening to either commiserate or wallow. Uh, alongside Jordan Schusterman's immense sadness and pain because today the Seattle Mariners did not win a baseball game. They came about as close as you can to doing that without actually doing it as the Houston Astros emerged victorious 8-7 to on a three-run walk-off home run by Jordan Alvarez. And Jordan, as I mentioned before, this will be free therapy. <laughs> so let me ask you, how did that make you feel? <laughs> Uh, well, I tweeted a video uh, of my live reaction, uh, and that is a real live reaction. Anyone doubting that that is not a real thing? Um, and I tweeted this too. As soon as Robbie Ray came in the game, and we'll, we'll, we'll rewind a little bit here in a second, I was like, well, this is going to be something. I don't know what it's going to be, but it is certainly going to be something. 
Um, and we ended up on on about as far into one spectrum, one end of the spectrum of what it could be as as uh, you could possibly imagine. So, uh, Jake, I'm going to to break this into into five sections. All right. Five. And five. five I'm not, listen, we're not we're not going an hour long. I'm just this is how I've, I've started to, to formulate this. OK, this is how we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the game before the homer. Right. Jordan, are these going to be Jordan? Yeah. Are the five sections? Are right. they denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance? Well, no, AKA no. These, the five I, I stages have, of grief. Listen, Jake, I am a professional podcaster. I have not just set this up for my own therapy. This is this is this is for you too. This is for for your. I, I do want your insight and input for this too. Okay, so first Great. we need to talk about the the game. Okay, then we are going to talk about the decision to put Robbie Ray into the game. Okay, great. Then we are going to talk about the decision to pitch baseballs on purpose to Jordan Alvarez. All right. Yes. Then we are going to talk about the decision to throw the pitches that Robbie Ray threw <laughs> to Jordan Alvarez. And then we are going to talk about the aftermath. So let's talk about the baseball game because I know you, I don't know how much you got to watch the rest of the game. I assume you tuned in uh, late when it was getting close, but uh, let's, let's start at the beginning. Uh, they kicked Justin Verlander's ass and the Mariners offense was just bringing it to him. And it was pretty impressive to watch. Everyone in the lineup, I believe, uh, had a hit except uh, for Carlos Santana, which is weird because Carlos Santana has faced Justin Verlander like 5,000 times and has nine homers against him in his career. But everyone was raking. France was raking. Julio was making shit happen, right? Later, we get a Suarez homer. You know, we, we get a Raleigh uh, big hit. Kelnick has two hits. They're cruising, right? Logan Gilbert. Worst yeah. outing. In the postseason of Justin Verlander's career, he had never allowed 10 hits in a postseason start, I believe. Mm -hmm. It was the second shortest postseason start of his career. The other one was, I believe, just three and two thirds. He was bad. He was just straight up bad. The Mariners knocked him around. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, Logan Gilbert was cruising, baby. Yeah, he was really good. And he, he got into some trouble here and there. And I, I honestly, you know, because I took me a while to process the ending, like I didn't even process the fact that, you know, they pulled him at 84 pitches and he was still pitching pretty well. He hadn't thrown in 10 days. He hadn't pitched since the clincher, right? Because the way that the end of their, their regular season ended, they didn't need him at the end there. And then, of course, he didn't have to throw game three in Toronto. So he was very fresh, but, you know, it's the postseason and you don't necessarily want to push it too far. And you do have a good bullpen, right? Well, maybe not. We'll get to that. Uh, but the thing is, is that, the reality of this game is it was not a, an maybe this is not stupid. You're saying, Jordan, you're, you're an idiot. It never felt like they, they had it right. They were playing really well. They got out of some jams, but a four run lead against one of the best offenses we've seen in however many years, like that's sorry. It's just not that good, right? It's not, it's not as comfortable as it is. And when Bregman homers in the eighth off Munoz and makes it a two run game and you're looking at the lineup and sure it's the bottom of the lineup, you're saying, all right, well, if it gets back to the top, this is going to be horrifying. Like it's, so, Seawald, very simple. Okay, so great point. Seawald comes in for the ninth, and it's eight nine one. And I, this is when I kind of really locked in, and I'm thinking you you can't face Altuve at the top with a guy on, right? Yes. That's you need to get these first two hitters. He gets the first hitter, who I believe Vasquez. was Christian Vasquez. So Vasquez then rounds he, out. Then he mm -hmm. plunks. Then he plunks the nine hole guy. So this uh, is this is the this was really the the the, the key, key moment of the game. Shouts out to Franklin. Key Mirabal. moment of the game. Uh, David Hensley, who you have never heard of, 
<laughs> who had 35 at-bats in the regular season, made his debut at the end of August. Tall shortstop. Very tall shortstop. Hit very well in his limited time. Was called on to pinch hit for Mauricio Dubon in a huge spot in his first ever postseason appearance, right? I mean, it wasn't even a given he was going to be on the roster. It seems like they picked him over having Will Smith, um, a lefty on, on their bullpen roster. Okay, great. Great at bat, right? Fouls off a couple pitches and works. It ended up being a hit by pitch, but it was essentially a walk, right? And that is huge, right? Okay, now we go to Altuve. And now I'm already just, you know, or come on. <laughs> I mean, at this point, it's bad enough. Strikes out Altuve. Okay, great. Now we have another rookie coming up, the rookie you have heard of, Jeremy Pena. Jeremy Pena dumps one into center field. Okay, now. Here we get to our first decision of the evening. It's first and second. It's two outs. Paul Seawald clearly doesn't totally have it. And as he struggled in Toronto, okay, what are, what are our options here? Okay, we could go to Matt Boyd, who's a real lefty in the bullpen. We could go to George Kirby. We could go to Eric Swanson, who's also struggled down the stretch, right? Or apparently we can, we can go to Robbie Ray. <laughs> so, Jake, uh, give me give me your take on the decision to put in Robert Ray. Wrong decision, okay, for a couple of reasons. <laughs> Had Robbie Ray gone out in Toronto, or as they call it, Trana, and carved through the Blue Jays lineup and looked dominant along the way, maybe this makes a little bit of sense, right? This has happened before. Guys do this in the postseason all the time. They come back and they relieve when they're usually starters. Now, what bugs me is that what's the point of carrying Matt Boyd, right, if you're not going to use him in this spot? What's the point of carrying Swanson, who has been, correct me if I'm wrong, phenomenal for mm -hmm. months now, mm -hmm. if you're not going to use him in that spot? To me, this is something that managers do too often in the postseason. They go out of what got them there. We saw this happen to Ali Marmol in the wild card round. We saw this happen to uh, Buck. In the wild card round when he went to Diaz in kind of an odd spot that didn't end up biting him in the butt. And then who am I forgetting? They, uh, it happened one more time in the wild card round with well, uh, with the not the Guardians. Uh, well, I just want to say the other series. We saw George oh, with Kirby the Blue Jays with the Blue Jays. Yep. They went to Romano too early. So this mm -hmm. happens like managers do this. And Robbie Ray is not comfortable pitching in that situation. And now you don't know that until he tries it. And I understand comfort is pitching is still pitching right but at the same time Robbie Ray does not exactly move like a guy who's comfortable pitching out of the bullpen if he's just going to be throwing fastballs down the middle right <laughs> for him to be good those things need to move they need to have hot they need to have some spice on them and we're about to get to this they did not no I probably my number one option would have been to keep Seawald in there my second option would have been to go to Swanson then Boyd then Ray mm-hmm now, okay, so they go to Robbie Ray, and I totally agree with everything you just said. He has only had one relief appearance in the last however many years, uh, and he, it's not like he was throwing great recently anyway. But to your point, right, like it, it's, it's so funny to see the Mariners in there, you know, first postseason how long, and, you know, they've mapped these out, right? And, and service it after the game. Like, yes, it's not like I suddenly came up with this idea when Alvarez stepped to the plate. Like, I realized this was a possibility, but thinking – Yes, this is what we do. We're in the postseason now. We just go back to our starters. I mean, especially for a team that has had success in the bullpen this year, it was disappointing to see. Okay. Why are we pitching New York on Alvarez in the first place? Here's the calculus, right? 
you don't want to put the tying run on second. A single ties the game. Yes. That I understand. I <laughs> however, would. <laughs> however, if you're going to put the tying run on second, the tying run is better than the winning run who is Jordan Alvarez at the plate. Now, if you put him on first, he is either going to be pinch run for or is slow Jordan Alvarez probably not scoring and winning the, the game, right? Seawald against Bregman, if you're going to keep Seawald in, is probably a more favorable matchup than anybody against Jordan Alvarez, <laughs> right? And so I think that is the other part that is just very difficult. To talk about. Now, that's that's a much more interesting debate, right? Load the bases I in I would that have spot. left him... I would have pitched Alvarez in that spot. I don't mm. have a huge problem with that. Putting the tie and run on second is never ideal because like a bloop can tie the game, right? Yeah. Like something weird can tie the game. Whereas mm. Alvarez, like he has to hit a ball hard. <laughs> and at the same time, oh. this is our next question. <laughs> I know. Yeah. He ends up doing that. And he does it all the time. But our next question that you mentioned is the pitches that were thrown to him. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. If you are going to pitch to Jordan Alvarez, you cannot give him anything to hit until he gets to like a 2-0-3-1 count. That's the biggest crime here. And is people that have, Robbie Ray leaned back and just hucked it down the dick. And he said, oh, I, you know, and people pointed out, oh, Jordan is actually worse against sinkers than breaking stuff, whatever. And Ray said after the game, like, I was just trying to get in and I didn't. And again, that goes back to the thing we just said before. This is not a comfortable position for Robbie Ray, no matter how much you're paying him and how much status he has and how many awards he has. It's just not, right? And so that's where you can't be surprised when he misses his spot by a lethal amount. And then My Jordan man is not... He's not trying to get David Hensley out <laughs> either. That's the other thing. He's trying to get Jordan Alvarez out. And that's an unfair situation to put Ray in. I'm sure Ray wants the ball in that spot. That's great. But just, you know, I want a million dollars. Like, I'm, <laughs> it's midnight here at Yankee Stadium. I'm hungry and I want a cheeseburger, but I don't have it either. And Robbie Ray should not have been put in that spot. Okay. Jordan makes contact and you know right away. I mean, you know right away. How, how are you doing? So some people pointed out when they responded to my video, you know, how did you not scream? How did you, we were so calm. And you could tell I knew, I was, that's true, right? That's just not really me. But also like so much of this, and if you're an Astros fan thinking about this, it's just laughing at me. It's like so much of this and preparation for this, as you know, Jake, is my reverence for Jordan Alvarez, which stretches back many years, you know? Like, not that I'm saying I was like first to know he was good, but like I have been screaming to (laughs) to everybody, he might be the best hitter in the world, right? And I know there's someone that hit 62 and runs for the Yankees, but like I, it's, it's not, we're not just talking about, oh, he's a good hitter. Let's pitch around him. Like he's that good. And he has done it in October. We have watched him do it time and time and time again. Right. And so that's the part where I was, as soon as that's why I started recording, I'm like, this could go as horribly as I could imagine. Now, 117 to the second deck. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, he could have hit a more normal home run that didn't, you know, stab me in the stomach. But I was, I was fairly prepared for something like that to happen, and that is why I simply slumped and did not scream in shock. Jordan looked genuinely surprised that he got such a bad pitch. Well, he got the right? same pitch the pitch before, and he fouled it back. Right, right. right. Um, He's like, you, "You want to do that again?" Oh, okay, yeah. bye. So let's zoom out now. Um, 
Let me make this point to you, Jordan. Oh, yeah. As someone who has experienced crushing postseason defeat <laughs> uh, before. Right. Well, this is the it, thing. This is the, my first thought, right? Was like, what is a home run that has been this devastating? And you've lived it. I think it's probably the closest uh, yeah, in and, recent memory. A hundred percent. A hundred percent, right? Um, not that there haven't been other walk-off home runs, but we're when you compare of course, a pitching decision the, that leads to something like this, X, Y, Z, right? Correct. Just to be clear, we're talking about the 2016 AL wildcard game, the Edwin Encarnacio home run off of Ubaldo Jimenez. Now, that was a little different, right? Because no more baseball for the Baltimore exactly. Orioles Exactly. Yep. And I'm going to get to that. Yep. And the Mariners do get to play a baseball game tomorrow. Nope. Not tomorrow. Thursday. They have to sit Thursday, on this a little bit longer. The, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, but it is always better to have loved and literally lost than it is to have never loved at all. And the gut, that feeling in your gut, that helplessness, the idea that like you don't know what to do with your hands, you like go to take a piss or like pour yourself a glass of water and your mind goes blank. And then you just like remember that Robbie Ray threw that pitch and you're like, why didn't he just not do that? (laughs) That permeates everything you do for like an hour. But then you remember that it is better to be sad than bored. It is better to have your heart ripped out ruthlessly from your throat than to be sitting on your hands when the weather gets cold. And Jordan, for the first time in your life, you experienced postseason heartbreak. And I am genuinely happy for you, saddened for you. And I think that it is maybe the last feeling besides winning a World Series. That you have experienced as a fan, mm-hmm. right? And now I feel like your resume is complete. Which the the thing about that is it's been three games, right? Like this is why I am, to your point, like I am also so appreciative of this insane pain that I felt for 30 minutes following this own run. It's like they've, they finally got there. Again, I've only been a marriage fan for 10 years. It's not long, long drop, blah, blah, blah. But like, I've been looking forward to this and they could have bowed out in two normal, boring losses, right? They could have had two normal, boring wins. And I was just, you know, cheesing, right? That first Luis Castillo game, I was chilling and I was on top of the world. I was like, oh my God, the Mariners can win the World Series. They've got this Luis Castillo and they can do blah, 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 blah. Then the unbelievable game that was game two in Toronto. And then literally the mirror image, right? How funny is that? That in Toronto, they go Robbie Ray disaster, Paul Seawall disaster, come back and win. And then tonight, they go amazing game for the whole time. And then Paul Seawall disaster, Robbie Ray disaster, and they lose. (laughs) You're getting a taste of it all. And I think that's important. It is like the tasting menu of postseason experience, Jordan. And you've been thrown right into it right away. And I am... How are you right now? Like, I got messages from people being like, how's Jordan? Which is, <laughs> first of all, first of yeah. all, is very funny because obviously sad. Like, how's Jordan? Oh, he's great. But, like, he's not going to jump off a bridge or drown <laughs> himself in bourbon. Like, he's a big boy and he is going to be okay. Now, the funniest part of this is that you then had to write about the game, yes. which you had agreed to do. <laughs> At Fox Sports before it started, and I was like, "Are you sure?" And you were like, "Yeah, yeah I'll do it." So, of and you had to write the whole gamer from scratch because it had been ripped up moments ago by Jordan Alvarez. That is very correct. Um, but again, hey, it's all part of it. Uh, like you said, I'm still glad that they they will continue on and they will they will play on Thursday. And Luis Castillo gives them a chance to, I guess, split somehow in this series, and that would be amazing. But you know, we'll we'll get to that when we get there. The last thing about this series, um, and then we'll move on to uh, to Phillies Braves, is just like 
it is so amazing, right? This is, the, and this is the difference between what you experience and is like, this isn't the end, right? And the fact, and the fact that they can experience this game in game one, and maybe this is it, that this is the death knell, and they, they can't come back from it, but maybe they can. And like, that is so funny that they can, you know, that they're going to go out there with Luis Castillo on Thursday and have a decent chance to win because if the offense keeps swinging it, like, like again, they played an amazing baseball game for ninety three percent of the time, and so like there is good stuff to come away from it. It's just, hey man, this this sport in a is weird insane. way, you feel better right now than you would if they had simply lost a regular game, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because it's mm-hmm. oh if the offense comes out tomorrow and Castillo should dominate. Mm-hmm. Like you still leave with a split, and you still feel good about that. Yeah, but right? it's 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 really wild. So anyway, that was a game that happened, uh, and yeah, it's 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 also just so funny, right? Like it happens, and I walk downstairs, uh, and my lovely fiance Bailey sitting on the couch, and she's a baseball fan too. But she, you know, she had a busy day at work, and she's you know just she doesn't care right now, and I'm just gonna walk down and like part of me wants to go down and just like start freaking out, like oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and I just kind of stood there and I was just like, hey. What's up? Like you, you're doing all right? Because <laughs> I was like, it was it was nice to just like be like, oh right, we're all doing this silly thing when we're locked in and we're watching. We're in our own universe, and then the rest of the world is just going about their their business. So <laughs> it was a nice little humbling moment to step back, and then eventually I did have to write about it, which was very funny. All right, as but- as my girlfriend said during the entire Aaron Judge home run chase, <laughs> did the guy do the thing? Exactly. In this case, it was quite the opposite. Anyway, all right, let's move on to uh, Phillies and Braves, which if you look at the final score, I mean, this was in some ways sort of kind of maybe heading to some kind of a similar ending, uh, but not quite as the Phillies prevail seven to six in a very strange baseball game. Uh, Jake, tell me about this one. Max Freed, a man who is as reliable as they come, was awful. His worst start in over a year, I believe it was his fewest strikeouts in any outing all season, the fewest innings he had thrown in any outing all season. These two teams played a series, I think the second to last weekend of the year, and Suarez and Freed actually matched up in a game against one another, a game that Philly won one to zero. Both guys threw really well. It is very obvious from the Philly strategy today that they like compl- they learned from that experience. Instead of letting Freed get ahead in the count early with his fastball, then you have to deal with the curve. They were just hopping on heaters early from the jump. So Schwarber and Reese get out really quickly in the first two outs, right? And then Real Muto, Harper, Cassiano's bone, single, 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 two run score. Couple of those on first pitch swings. And you're like, oh, weird. Philly didn't have a single two out hit in the entire series against St. Louis. They went 0 for 16 with two outs, right? And they and won the series to, anyway. And won right. the series anyway. And they went hit, 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 single, 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 single with two outs in the first. And you're like, oh, something might be up. Then they pile on a couple more in the third. And you're like, this is weird. Free does not have his best stuff. It's 6-1, then it's 7-1. Freed ends up getting knocked out in the fourth. Um, and... The, the big guy to talk about here, Jordan, Nick Castellanos, who all season long had turned himself into public enemy number one of greater Philadelphia because he was poo-poo and had gotten a five-year, hundo-million-dollar contract, 95 OPS plus, and bad defense to boot. He goes three for three in his first three at-bats and, and three RBI. 
two of which were on the first pitch, two of which were two outs. What? Well, Castellanos is exactly the kind of guy, right, that can just suddenly turn it on. I mean, his track record is too long to where you think a three-hit game is impossible, but obviously the games, the results this season have been extremely underwhelming. Uh, and then we'll get to his you know, play at the end of the game, which I think you made a great point about uh, on Twitter. But so then the Braves are, are, are poking back into it. Brogdon, so no bueno. The thing, here to, the thing mm-hmm. here to talk about Ranger Suarez, the Phillies pitcher, was honestly just as teetery and tottery as Freed was, except that he was able to escape two bases loaded jams, one in the first, one in the third. And so even though he was very shaky and left, I don't think he made it through three. Yeah, he only he got didn't make it through third. four. Yep. Mm-hmm. Didn't make it through four. Like he was able to limit the runs. He only allowed one earned run in three and a third, whereas Freed allowed four. That was kind of the difference in the ball game. Philly's bullpen having to pick up. <laughs> what is that? Doing the math. That's four. That, that's a lot of outs. So I guess that's 17 outs that a mad bullpen was tasked to get. Uh, and they got exactly that. Uh, the Braves chipped away, got some against Connor Brogdon. Brad Hand came in and was good. Sir Anthony Dominguez threw two innings and was absolutely dominant. But heading into the ninth, Jordan, it is seven to three. Phillies hanging on. Two runners get on <laughs> against Zach Eflin, who was here comes Zach the, Eflin, the closer. Sure. The closer, who had not closed at all year. Three-run home run, Matt Olson. Atlanta's going crazy. Truist is going wild. It's like, here we go again, Philly's bullpen. It did, you're right, it, it felt like the Mariners-Astros game. We just hadn't seen it yet. But somehow, some way, Eflin buckles down and gets William Contreras and gets Travis Darno, and the Phillies escape Atlanta with a 7-6 win. Contreras with the ball to Castellanos in right. Oh, yeah, let's talk about that. And... Uh, you made the point on Twitter that uh, catches, good defensive plays made by bad defenders are often better highlights than those made by our uh, gold glovers. And I think this is so true. Now, it doesn't always look as graceful, but you do have that feeling of, oh my God, he did that, right? Instead of, oh my God, what a play, you say, oh my God, how did he do it? If there's a ball hit into the gap, between like 2016 and 2021 in Tampa, you're like, oh, Kevin Kiermeyer's got it, right? You assume an out. Now, maybe that's not fair, right? Because spectacular defenders should be able to wow us, but you assume they're going to catch it. Any ball ever hit to anywhere near <laughs> Nick Castellanos, whether even it's right at him, I'm like, oh, that's not going to be caught, right? And especially ones that are looping in front of him. And so when he took off running, I'm like, because if he misses it, it's a triple. Oh, yeah. And, and then, then you have a run on you have third, the, tying run. The tying run on third, yeah. And, and yeah, there was a similar – when I was in Seattle, I think it was the Sunday game, there was a similar play, not as high stakes, but Jesse Winker, who's just been horrific in left <laughs> the whole season and is in a similar bucket as Castellanos, former Reds teammate, where it's like only athletic in the box and nowhere else. And he made like a jump and grab at the wall to like, you know, stop a run. And, and everyone went crazy because it was like, how did he just do that? Um, so, yeah. So I totally agree with that point. And then, and then that caps off a, an incredible game by Castellanos at, at the perfect time for them. It has the same kind of energy as like a lineman touchdown. <laughs> it's like, wow, I can't believe this unathletic gentleman made such a wonderful play. So that means Philly has taken one of the two games in Atlanta. 
And then they have Zach Wheeler going tomorrow against Kyle Wright, who is magically and suddenly good. I, all of a sudden, really like Philly's chances to take this series. Jordan, anything else on this before we take a quick break? No, I think uh, it's, it is looking pretty good. And uh, they, they almost Phillied it, but they, they made it happen. So good for them. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back on Baseball Barbecast. Buck O'Neill dedicated his life to teaching us about the heroes of the Negro Leagues and demonstrating that you could get further in life with love than you could with hate. Now is our opportunity to say thank you to this legendary man. Join the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum as we celebrate Buck's long overdue induction into the National Baseball Hall of Fame by supporting our Thanks a Million Buck campaign. It's an effort to raise at least $1 million by fans donating a buck or more in support of the NLBM. Remember, every buck counts. To donate, visit thanksamillionbuck.com. We're back here on Baseball Barbacast, Jake Minster and Schusterman. Now, I am in the Bronx, and I'm not here by accident. I came here on purpose, as I do very often, to see the Yankees. Woohoo! Wow. Everyone knows the Yankees. That's great. The- so, uh, Jake, Jake, after Jordan Alvarez uh, hit a ball to space, I said, I'm never watching baseball ever again. So I didn't um, watch any of the Guardians-Yankees game, and I'm not joking. Uh, so because of that, and because you are still at Yankee Stadium, I'm going to let you carry this Great. Uh, conversation. So it all starts with me taking in the Jordan Alvarez home run. A good buddy of mine was at the game tonight, and so I went to his seats to say hello. Uh, and up there, I did not have access to a television or a way to watch the end of the Astros game. So as I ate my overpriced Benny Hanna Poke Bowl from Section 421, I followed the end of the Mariners game on game day where there were very much in play, no outs. AKA I believe in that play, was in game play over. runs. <laughs> in play, no more baseball going on here. And so I saw the blue dot and I was like, how many runs? And then it was all of the runs. Uh, from that point, I journeyed down to the press box where I took in what was a interesting baseball game for a little bit and then slowly wasn't. Cleveland takes a 1-0 lead early on a pretty shocking Stephen Kwan solo shot off of Garrett Cole. Kwan, famously very little power, famously tons of contact ability. Cole famously gives up a lot of bombs, but this felt like the universe laughing and being like, oh, how many bombs does Garrett Cole give up? This many bombs. Here's a Stephen Kwan one into the first row. You saw that highlight. I did. I did. And I mean, it was, you know, I think a 2-0 fastball right down the middle. Um, which Stephen Kwan is not going to miss, but how far he's going to hit it is always something of a question. But that was very cool to see. Uh, and then, oh my goodness, it's like, here we go. You know, Stephen Kwan and, and Quantrill was throwing pretty well at that point. Uh, but then Mr. Bader, I believe, struck back in the yeah. bottom of the third. That was key because something that happens here at Yankee Stadium, and it happens at City Field too, and in some of these bigger markets, when a team in the postseason at home goes down early, and you can feel the collective clenching of the New York butthole, Jordan. You can feel the t- this the unease, the tension, the what if we lose start to permeate around the crowd. And the longer that that thought is allowed to exist, the more likely it is, and this is not true because it's not facts, it's just vibes, but the more likely it is that the team on the field loses, the worse the vibes get in the crowd. You know that feeling? Yeah. It's a coastal elite thing, Jordan. It, it only happens here in New York. It, it does the, feel that way because uh, I think the Astros fans were chilling when they were down 4 nothing. Correct. <laughs> correct. And Harrison Bader 
immediately assuaged any of those concerns with a game time last to left off of Quantrill. And then the game journeyed one to one. Biggest play of the game. Key moment Key of the game. Key moment of the game. Uh, Josh Don- We'll start with that. Josh Donaldson hits the ball to right field, bounces off the top of the wall. He's like walking to first base. Not a home run. He gets tagged out. Looks like a total doofus. Really delightful for the fellow Josh Donaldson dislikers here on planet Earth. Next hitter, I believe, was... Oh, I don't have my scorebook in front of me. It was IKF. It was IKF. IKF mm-hmm. lines one down the right field line for what looks like a single, but SpongeBob himself, Oscar Gonzalez, bungles it. IKF gets the third. Next hitter, sack flies him in. And that was the difference. The Yankees padded on a couple more to make it 4-1. to one. Cole was really good. And then the Yankees' bullpen a couple times looked like it was about to fall apart, held together with Band-Aids and duct tape. They endured, uh, and the Yankees win it 4-1. to one. Well, and we should, we should really just take a moment to talk about this, too, because this did not show up in our preview because we did not know that Scott F. Ross needed Tommy John surgery when we previewed this series. Jordan, I am no longer the only side-arming Jew in New York City who needs who has required Tommy John surgery? Wow. I now have company. You and Scott are are, are really really going to be bonding over that for for years to come. But yeah, that's a huge blow, right? I mean, he was one of the guys we were penciling in as someone we can rely on, and, and now he's gone, and we know Chapman's gone, and so it's really going to be Miguel Castro. But tonight it was uh, Loizaga and Wandy Peralta and Clay Holmes. And this is the thing about the current Yankees bullpen that I really want to emphasize. A lot has been made, and fairly so, of how depleted they are, right? Because if you look at the IL, you're like, that's a whole bullpen. King, Ridings, Marinaccio, Britton, Green. That's like Chapman. a whole bullpen. That's like better than most teams' bullpen. But the guys who are left behind are like still really good. Wandy Peralta, ERA under three, right? Clay Holmes was the best closer in baseball for four months, Right. There are real human beings out there who can get real outs. Jonathan Lewisaga had an ERA on, I think it was like 2-3 all of last season. And then he got hurt and was bad in the first half and was 2-5 all the way down the stretch. The Yankees' like eighth and ninth options are still really good. And that's a credit to Cashman for putting this team together. And the staff here, the pitching coaches, for making sure that those guys are ready to go. Because tonight, they showed up and they got the last eight outs of the game and the Yankees won. There were a couple moments of doubt, like... It was, it was kind of wonderfully poetic how it went down. Like, Loisica comes in, immediately gives up a hit. People get nervous. Next batter, double play. Ooh, next inning. Peralta comes in, gives up a hit. Next batter, double play. Right. Everyone settles down. Clay Holmes comes in in the ninth with one out, hits the first batter he gets. People get nervous. Gets the next two outs to end the game. So there were just signs of weakness in the Yankees bullpen, but it is important to remember that their best relievers are actually really good. And the fact that there's an off day tomorrow does help the Yankees because they can rest those three dudes and just bring them back in game two on Thursday, where if game two was tomorrow, they might not have been able to do that. So that's really all you need to know here. Garrett Cole in the press conference uh, was very thoughtful is the word I would use and said, today was a good day. It was my dad's birthday. Jordan, what do you think Garrett Cole got his dad for his birthday? <laughs> a lot of options when you're making that much money. 
Uh, so pretty hard to pin that down. <laughs> what do you get your dad when you make that much money? Like I got my dad like a bike jersey or something, you know, like, do you right. get your dad like a house? Do you right. get him? You just like any car. But again, it's like, that's the other thing when you're buying things that are that big. Right. Again, he's not going to complain, but it's some, there's got to be some level of practicality. It's not just like, here's a boat. Okay. What am I going to do right. with this? What's the perfect gift when you're outlandishly rich but you don't want to look like a jerk but you still love your dad because like if he gets his dad a card it's like i know how much you make all i get is a card but if you buy him like a boat like you said that's also kind of gaudy so i you know what i would do i would get him like a really nice bottle of booze really right just just max out the the most expensive bottle you can find a great answer um you're a journalist why don't you go ask eric cole tomorrow or thursday <laughs> okay sure uh yeah i think you should do i'll that. report back last thing on this series uh before we get to our final series is again i didn't watch this game because i'm never watching baseball again but uh <laughs> i'm looking at the box score and yeah. and uh, this isn't again like this is because you, you were there you you had the feel of the game and i think you, you described the, the vibe of it generally well and i'm not trying to hit on the yankees but it is interesting to look at the box score and see that cleveland out hit the yankees barely you know six to five but it's not like the yankees offense was uh we you know no. we had some some unlikely heroes and you know judge over three with three strikeouts um and so you know that's just something I, I'm certainly curious about if I do choose to watch baseball again uh, come Thursday is is will the Yankees hitters uh, you step up and look uh, you know Trevor Steffen's really good but they didn't exactly face the, the the cream of the crop from Cleveland just yet right so that that's something that yeah. I take note of just looking at the box score I, I mean yeah the runs came on solo shot from Bader. That flub by Gonzalez, that was a Trevino sack fly, and then a two-run homer from Rizzo after Judge walked. And, it, and hey, as we said, like that's clearly enough. It's not like the Guardians are going to outslug that's them. That's the thing. And yeah. this is the thing. The home run is key. A-Rod can go on broadcast all he wants to talk about stringing hits together. But the Guardians lost this game with more hits than the Yankees did because the Yankees are able to put the ball over the fence repeatedly. And Cleveland cannot. They cannot. We know that about them. Yes, here's the funny thing. Someone tweeted this. They have scored all their runs this October on homers, Cleveland has so far, which does not tell you. All four really, of them. All four of their runs have been on homers, okay? Which is great, duh, but honestly emphasizes the point of how key homers are in the postseason, even yeah. for a team like, like Cleveland. So maybe they can get one. I was hoping for like a Josh Naylor moment off of Cole. I thought he was kind of the perfect guy to get him Cole sequenced him really well all night got him chasing the knuckle curve in his first at bat Naylor didn't look totally comfortable ended up going over four on the night game but, two I do like Cleveland's chances behind Bieber but this isn't rocket science they need to score more than a run they need to they had an opportunity tonight with the bases loaded and just one out and Cole and, was able to wriggle out of it without allowing an extra run in that spot and I love I love the Beebs and I trust him uh, big time. But Cortez, as a lefty, is not necessarily who some of Cleveland's best hitters are going to want to be seeing. So again, it's I mean, offense is going to be a struggle for them, even in games that they win. So I Nailers, that's why I, I yeah. <laughs> Nailers OPS against lefties this year was three hundred and forty four points lower than his OPS against right. Yeah, and then I mean, Jimenez doesn't have a big splits, but. And Ramirez is amazing, but even Quan, right? And, and you know, Brennan, whatever. It's just it's 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 a little tough. So and Naylor's a big part of the offense. So uh whatever the offense is, I guess. Um last point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Watching this game, 
there you couldn't help but notice that Cleveland could really use a big bopper in the middle of their order. You know what I mean? And I got to thinking, who's on the free agent market this year? And then I glanced out to right field and I was like, Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge would be a great guardian. Wouldn't he be perfect in this lineup? That's what I kept well, thinking to myself. So, so, sorry to go backwards here, but I was um, I was thinking about that with Tampa, and then I remembered that they made a legitimate run at Freddie Freeman. You know, yeah. like that is, and Cleveland certainly did not do that. So I'm, that I'm is not, true. not giving them too much credit, but you know, that just just made me think of that. San Francisco, where's your disco? This is Scott Braun from Baseball Legends Lounge, a Sirius XM podcast. Downloaded today to hear our in depth conversation with. Giants legend Will Clark. And I turned and Chili Davis was on my left hand side. And he was he was one of my veterans. And I go, Chili, he's gonna drill me next time up. He goes, oh hell yeah. <laughs> Download baseball legends lounge right now on the SXM app, included with all of our trials and popular plans, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now it is time to talk about Dodgers Padres. If the audio sounds a little different. My voice is a little scratchier. There aren't stadium workers cleaning up peanut shells in the background. That's because we have fast forward about eight hours in the world and I'm no longer at Yankee Stadium. It is now morning and I'm in my apartment because that is how West Coast baseball influences our lives. Jordan, let's break down Dodgers Padres. Yeah, and you know, to be honest, as as we were, uh, as your time at Yankee Stadium was kind of running out, and you wanted to go home and get some sleep like a normal person, totally reasonable request. We were like, ah, like the Dodgers are probably going to hang on. Do we really have to wait for them to finish in case the Padres have a crazy comeback like the Astros? But when it's Dodgers Padres, you usually know how the game is going to end. And when you pull up the box score, it just looks like a classic frustrating Dodgers victory uh <laughs> not not a blowout but one where they were basically generally in control for the entire game it was julio urias against mike clevenger i would say honestly this is kind of a game that is pretty similar to the yankees guardians game where the the uh, padres were forced to not use their best pitcher and the dodgers were able to use one of their best pitchers and that had them on the back foot the whole time and mike clevenger is worse than cal quantrill uh, even though they were traded for each other, right? Yes. <laughs> so that's that connection. Um, and Mike Clevenger is just not all that good anymore. And the Dodgers are one of the best lineups we've ever seen. So that's a bad uh, recipe for winning game one of a postseason series. This one went about as as exactly how you would have thought with Clevenger on the mound. I mean, he went two and two thirds, allowed four runs, f- four earned runs, five runs total, six hits, walked two guys, only struck out three. He just wasn't good enough. He was a pitcher going up against a lineup that was light years better than him, and it just showed right away. Turner went yard on the second batter of the game. Dodgers put up five runs early. You know, one of those was on a Will Myers error. One of those was on like a Max Muncie dribbler through the shift. But another one of those was on a Gavin Lux line drive double down the line where Clevenger probably should have been out of the game. Now, credit where credit is due. The San Diego Padres bullpen, who... Yes, I was going to mention this. We mm-hmm. have been throwing tomato, tomato, tomato at, doubting their abilities. Scoreless last night. Steven Wilson, Pierce Johnson, Tim Hill, Nick Martinez. What a gaggle of boring names that is. But they threw 
quick maths, five and a third innings without allowing a run, striking out quick maths, seven guys. <laughs> That's an impressive thing. And a lot, this is what's the most demoralizing, I think, from last night's game for Padres fans, is that a lot went right. Urias was not his best self. He was a little shaky. The Padres knocked him around a little bit. They got runners in scoring position, right? The San Diego bullpen came through and held the game together. But that's what happens when you play the Dodgers. You can't just play a good game. You got to play your best game and hope they play a bad game. And that's why the margin for error is so slim. Because the Dodgers bullpen and their gaggle of who the fuck are these guys also through a scoreless situation last night between Evan Phillips, Alex Vesia, Bruce Dark Gratterall, and I will try to fix you, Chris Martin. Closer, Chris Martin, right? So Craig Kimbrell being left off the roster was one of the biggest talking points of the Dodgers' um, postseason roster decisions. And it doesn't matter. Uh, their, <laughs> their whole pitching staff is tremendous. But you're totally right, right? You know, Padres having uh, five-plus scoreless, hitless innings uh, against the Dodgers is very impressive and and I guess, you know, maybe a good sign, but the Dodgers, you know, haven't played in a week and they are now going to get to get kind of cruising here. And it's a five-game series. The Dodgers only have to win two more. And I don't know if you saw, but they won 111 of, of mm. these baseball games in the regular season. So it probably won't be too difficult for them to win another. But let's just, uh, you know, t- turn ahead to, to today. I mean, Darvish, Kershaw, now, we, now we're rolling here, right? Now we're really talking. Yeah, and if the Padres want to try and steal one, they're going to need Juan Soto to do something. And he did kind of do something in that third game against the Mets by kind of putting it out of reach with that single against Eddie D. But he's got to have a moment for the Padres to do it. If they're going to win, they need the best players on their team to do stuff. Last night, that didn't really happen. Profar Soto, Machado, Drury, one hit between the two in the top four spots of the order. Yeah. Quick and question. The last thing quick I- question. Quick question. If the Padres bullpen threw a no-hitter, do they get to celebrate them- themselves? <laughs> Oh, that's funny, right? If like say the say Mike Clevenger got zero outs, you know, yeah. but allowed five runs, and then the Padres bullpen throws a no hitter in a loss, yeah, can you celebrate that? I think I, yeah, I against think, the Dodgers for sure. I think you get to have a beer for sure. That's a beer. You're at least feeling pretty good. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you know, and you looking at the game log, um, top of the sixth. Soto walk Machado single to lead off first and second. Nobody out against Evan Phillips, who started the inning. Bell pinch hits, strike out Will Myers double play, and then you know that's 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 the killer. And Myers hit it really hard. It was mm. just right at second baseman, and they turned two. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is this is gonna maybe go how we think. <laughs> Darvish is a chance mm-hmm. to make this a ball game. Do mm-hmm. I think the Dodgers will win anyway? Yes, I do. Because, like Jordan said, they won 111 games. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, uh, even with the Padres playing pretty well, when you compare it to the devastation of the Mariners game one loss, where you go in and you say, wow, the Astros are amazing, they're way better. But now for the first seven innings, it's like, oh my God, like the Mariners are hanging with them. Like they are playing up to their standard. You know, it didn't feel like the Padres were playing up to the Dodgers standard. The Dodgers were just like kind of relaxing and winning. 
and then you know the devastation. So I bring that up because let's let's finish out this this podcast episode so that people can listen to it. Anything else on Padres Dodgers before we we uh, say goodbye here? All right. So as Jake mentioned, uh, we fast forwarded uh, seven hours, which means I had to go to sleep and you know lie in bed and look at the ceiling and and picture Jordan Alvarez hitting a ball to the moon five hundred times. Um, and I just wanted to add a couple other thoughts before we say goodbye uh, about this this moment wow. because you literally <laughs> slept on it. I literally said I had to. I had no choice. I was not just going to to wait. Uh, and and they, you really would have heard a, a, a quite a delusional version of me this morning. But the first thing to point out is what I think people who were not as emotionally distraught were able to immediately react to in the moment, which is our good friend Foolish Baseball, who tweeted in the mere minutes after. Because he had an inkling. This is the kind of thing that I love to think about when I'm not extremely emotionally invested, which is that the Jordan Alvarez walk-off home run had the highest win probability added of any play in postseason history, passing Kirk Gibson's walk-off in 1988, which... (laughs) <laughs> and the top of this list is is just an incredible list. And just so we don't have to get too too you know in the weeds here, but win probably it, it's basically how low is the win probability at the moment of that that plate appearance ending for a game, and what is it when the plate appearance is over? And that's what that was, right? Down two, two outs in the ninth against what is a good team and whatever. There it is, there it is. And the fact that it was the first walk off home run. Down by multiple runs in the postseason ever is incredible. Is honestly like borderline impossible to believe. <laughs> there are so few postseason games. Like we really don't think That's about true. it, right? That's a good point. The sample size is comically small, even now when we have 85 teams that get to play in October. It's still very few games generally. That yeah. win probability chart. Looked like a cliff that you could jump off of, Jordan, right there at the end. <laughs> well, and also, again, we've we've seen those with comebacks. We just saw in in the one uh, last you know last week with the Mariners. But normally, again, comebacks are comebacks over time, and the win probability is being chipped away at, even if it's all in the eighth and ninth inning. But for the last batter, I mean, you just don't see charts like that, and that's what this was. And this list that you can see, foolish tweet out. I mean, it's great, right? Gibson, you got the Brett Phillips hit. Uh, is in the top five. You've got, of course, Pujols off Lidge. Um, you know, they're not all uh, necessarily walk-offs, but they are all moments that you remember. And uh, and 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 adding to the point that you said earlier uh, about, like, to experience all of that, <laughs> to experience that kind of moment that quickly is, is just remarkable. Uh, and then the last thing is just, like, everyone is crushing Robbie Ray, and I get it, but truly... Um, I mean, what a what a ridiculous ask of him. And I think the the thing that I'm most mad about, if I was a super angry person, which fortunately I am not, but a lot of people online are, is is treating Jordan Alvarez like he's some sort of platoon uh, advantage, and and service being like, yeah, you know, we planned this opportunity to go to our our guy for a lefty spot. Like, dude, it's Jordan. Like, he's got an 1,000 OPS against lefties. He has a higher batting average against lefties. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, honestly, you should just be putting your best pitcher on the mound, and, and that isn't Robbie Ray in that spot. And so that's the part that I am most irked by that I wanted to say, and, and hating on Robbie Ray to this degree feels 
pretty ridiculous. There are whatever. certainly some things one could critique Robbie Ray for. <laughs> yes. Yes. Including his pitching in a lot of cases. This uh, is not it. Yes. I would say that his outing just... in Toronto had a lot more issues from like, like he was just tossed into the fire and he doesn't know how to do that job. If I was asked to edit and produce this podcast, it would not be good. Now, that doesn't mean Jordan Alvarez would come in and embarrass me in front of 40,000 people, but I would still fail, right? Because it's not a yeah. role that I am skilled at or familiar with. And yeah. Robbie Ray went out there and every pitcher, because of toxic masculinity, is going to want the baseball in that spot. But it honestly, it takes a bigger man, Jordan Schusterman, to say, maybe you should put in Eric Swanson. Exactly. Well said. On that note, uh, this is the end of this podcast. Uh, we will be back later this week for another pod, fourth pod of the week. We don't we, we stop. Told you, we told you guys we'd be, we'd be bringing the noise, uh, and we hope you appreciate it. If you would like to email us with your distraught Mariners thoughts, by the way, we got an incredible Mets email that we will try to get to at some point because it, it was so good. We'll sit on that and read it when DeGrom signs with the Brewers. <laughs> Okay, we'll we'll save on that. So, uh, uh, you know who you are if you're listening. It was, it was a fantastic email. But um, baseball barbecast b a r b cast at gmail dot com. Um, and thank let you. me say, yeah. I uh, you know I am very much going to these games now. I will be at the Yankees Guardians workout today at Yankee Stadium. I am in all the press conferences. If you barbecast <laughs> listeners have actual meaningful thoughtful questions for people on these teams send them in and i might ask them okay yeah. and i'll let you know how it goes Be now if your question is terry francona what it do baby <laughs> i'm not gonna ask that but that's if not you that's not clearing the the, the bar that no. you're setting here but i'm yeah. giving an opportunity i am willing to crowdsource <laughs> my access to it well as we said earlier um you got to find out what Garrett Cole got his dad for his birthday. Okay, that'll be my job today. <laughs> I'll take care of that today. Maybe should I bring the mic and record it for the uh, pod? I mean, I I don't know. I mean, it might, if it's in a press, it depends if it's in a presser or not, right? But yeah, yeah I mean, but, but go right ahead. But um, that also reminded me, I we did not get to talk about the incredible Garrett Cole quotes before the game in, in, in uh, our friend Lindsay Adler's article, which <laughs> let me tell you, the Angels were just getting uh, all kinds of strays yesterday with the Garrett Cole talking about how he could be flipping burgers and relaxing in October instead of pitching for the Yankees if he had signed with the Angels, combined with everyone being like, Jared Kelnick has more postseason hits than Mike Trout. It was a rough and day for the not Angels to franchise. Get too, not to get too morbid, but uh, Eric K going to prison for 22 years. That too. Uh, it was not a good day for the Angels, and they have not played baseball for a week. All right. That's it. That's the end of this podcast. And uh, we're done. We'll see you later this week. Exact time, TBD. Did you say you're done? You're done. Uh, you're done has made Jordan very sad. But also, I love Jordan so much. <laughs> I can't help it. As painful as it was. I'm glad it wasn't a Ledmus Diaz. Sirius XM Podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. 
Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.